We, oh, I get so excited. I've never really done that before. God loves every single one of us. If you don't hear anything today, please hear that. But it doesn't always mean it's easy for us to accept his love, regardless of what you believe. Because we know he knows everything. All of our imperfections, our doubts, our desires, even the ones we feel he may not be proud of. And that's why God's love is so important. It's inevitable, predetermined, and all around us, no matter who we are or what we do. So today we're talking about the gift of God's love and how it shows up in our day-to-day -day lives, why it's so important to us and how our love for him comes into play. And to be honest, there's no other way I'd rather end season one of In Good Faith. Okay, babe, sometimes I feel like we get into the best conversations when we're on vacation together, which is why I think everybody should do their best to get away yeah, and get build some headspace. Margin. And yeah. get away, by the way, can be like move from your bedroom to the kitchen and get yeah, some Yeah, but just space. <laughs> and so we found ourselves on, I think it was the last day of our vacation, and I feel like it finally got us. It took us that long to get us to this headspace where we were sitting in a cafe doing one of my favorite things in oh. life, which is eating and drinking coffee and eating pastries and talking to oh, you. It word. just doesn't get much better in life. Ugh, I don't know what it is about that setting that's just so glorious. So but as true. we were sitting there on the last day of our vacation, we're people watching and I noticed we're in this place of beautiful people and just watching people. And I think because we're at our mid stage of life and really just asking what is the most important thing of life? I mean, obviously you and I love each other. We love our children. We have great friendships and relationships, but when it really comes down to it, what is the most important thing? And it, we meandered through this journey and both landed on the, oh, of course it is absolutely mm. this thing. Yeah. And that, that's, that was a fun exercise at that table, you know, and I don't know if we planned. We were excited to go to breakfast. We went there, I think, like three days in a row because yes, we just love the so croissants good. and love the table and love the people watching. But yeah, we came to a real acute, specific, this is the most important thing. And by now you've probably listened to the intro, so you know, but we concluded, hey, being loved by God. And that, that sentence is meaningful to me. Yeah. It starts with being not doing, mm -hmm. being loved by God. Hey, if there is a God and you could be loved by him, what could possibly be more important than that? Yeah, and I think for us in that conversation, especially when we put it in light of our kids, mm. of if there was one thing we want for our kids, if there's one thing we want them to experience or be or become, it was wanting them to be and become people who were loved by God. And if there's anything I want for you, it's I want you to grow in the state of being loved by God. Wow. Just because from our experience, it is the thing that has changed our lives oh, more than anything else. But as we get into the conversation, I actually think we should start off by talking about what is love. Because, mm. I mean, immediately I hear the 90s song in my head, <laughs> but there's so many- What is love? Baby, don't hurt, hurt me. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, is, what is love when we talk specifically about being loved by God? 
what do we mean about love in that context? And I, I love your definitions and I love the way that your brain works. So I'm going to ask you to start that off. Define love in your own words. Mm. I think it is being known to the deepest parts of who we are and being accepted or chosen, valued and embraced for exactly who we are. Mm. Yeah. Because it's one thing if somebody thinks well of us who doesn't really know us, but it's crazy even in our 22 years of marriage, 23, um, that the more you know me and the more I let you see the ugly parts of me and the maybe not so great mm. parts of me and the weaknesses of me, and you still choose me even knowing all of that, I think that is just what feels like love to me. How would you define it? It's probably authentic connection and authentic affection. It's this profound sense that you feel connected. And a lot of people would say that definition fails because they're like, I love Tom Brady. You know, it's like, well, you never met him, but you feel connected to him. The fact that he quarterbacked your favorite team or whatever, you feel connected. And then you feel some sort of affection. And obviously there's levels of love and that definition kind of insinuates that. But life is not life without love. Life is not life without human connection and human affection. And boy, when those come together, you have love. And I think in there is this ingredient called selflessness mm. that, uh, well, the most powerful force in the universe is God himself. And he is defined by unconditional love. Yeah. And that unconditional love is such a great statement. I've probably said this before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, because for me, it was just one of those marking life-changing moments when we had our first son and I was standing over his crib one night looking at him and mm. he had done absolutely nothing for us at that point except for cost us a lot of money cost us a lot of <laughs> sleepless nights um totally affected my body i still had a super big baby bulge and sore nipples and all of the things that come with it yeah wow born. we are getting into the details getting into, getting, <laughs> getting into chafe nipples <laughs> why not oh, but you remember zion was six weeks early our firstborn and he lived in this little incubator for the first couple of weeks of his life. And the connection, even though he was behind plastic or glass, oh. the connection we felt and the affection we felt was consuming. It was like a it, fire. It, it was like I was afraid like my chest, was gonna my heart, blow. Yeah, because it just couldn't contain all of the love. But oh. realizing he had not done anything to earn mm. or deserve that love. And so I started telling the kids always, you haven't done, there's nothing you can do to make me love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you any less. You, I love you just because you are my son. And when I think about God and you talked about unconditional love, yeah. that is what sets the love of God apart. I mean, you and I love each other, but we stood there on November 5th, 1999 and basically said to each other, I love you if you'll love me, yep. right? Our wedding vows are That's so funny. That's the vows, yeah. basically. I do <laughs> like, if you do. Yeah, there's a reciprocal love, mm -hmm. whereas the love of God is not reciprocal. It's not even conditional. It just is. Yeah, we want to dive more into that even the next few minutes because the teaching of Jesus, God revealing himself in the person of Jesus completely is, the story is very simple. With Jesus, you can do bad and get good. It's the most revolutionary, life-altering, wonderful news in the universe. Yeah, no, no, but no, I no. feel like if I was a listener of this podcast, mm. I'll tell you what I would be thinking okay. right now. Okay. I would be Ooh, thinking, I like that. yeah, right? I'd be thinking, nice guys, but Jesus said when he was asked, yeah. what are the two most important commandments? Yeah. 
Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say the most important commandments are to be loved by God. He mm. said it was to love God. Yep. So how are we here so audaciously declaring that the most important thing in the world is to be loved by God? Well, I think it's really important. Context is essential to these ancient scriptures and these ancient writings, understanding that the whole of scripture, the overwhelming narrative from the Hebrew Bible all the way into what we call the New Testament, is there's this overwhelming evidence that God is here to love his creation. He created, he actually created. He was the ultimate artist. That's an understatement. And he created all of this world to love it and to love us. Now, when Jesus talks about the greatest commandments, that was a response that Jesus gave to what are the greatest commandments, very specifically. In other words, what are the greatest things that men can do, i.e., in response to God's great initiative of love? And first of all, it's assumed there in that context and text that you're being loved by God. Now, having been loved by God, what can you do? Well, love him back and then love the people closest to you. What we're saying, though, is like your heart beating, that's because of the love of God. Your oxygen in and out because of the love of God. The blue sky, the stars, the clouds, the birds, the lakes, the rivers, the hills, the animals, it's all indicative of his love. He did this because he loved us. He's trying to tell all of us, I love you. I made this because of love. I made you for love. I do love you. And so this idea of like not receiving the love of God first is quite literally outrageous to assume anything other than this all starts with accepting the love of God uh, that and is just for us. Being loved by God and basking in it, feeling it. And, and can knowing, I make one more scripture reference to Mary and Martha, some of the closest friends to Jesus in his earthly ministry. He finds himself in the living room of Mary and Martha. Martha's frustrated because she's in the kitchen and her little sister Mary is crisscross applesauce in front of Jesus, listening to all his stories and teachings. And Martha walks in from the kitchen, probably shouts from the kitchen, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. And he says, I won't because Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary in life. Mm. And that is to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him love you. Yeah, There's a scripture reference that's very indicative and clear for <laughs> all the Bible scholars out there. <laughs> so we grew up in church. Um, obviously you and I grew up in the same church, met each other in the nursery. I thought you were cute. You, thought <laughs> you nice. did not. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> but would you say growing up in church did you feel loved by God? When in your journey did you start feeling loved by God? Was it a moment? Did it grow? I mean, it's grown, of course. It's a real relationship with a real person, so it grows and it has its own unique characteristics because I'm a unique human. I love that about the love of God. God's love is consistent, but it is uniquely applied to each unique human. Yeah. And I love that. And for me, it was probably 11 years old in Boise, Idaho, when I heard the closest thing to the audible voice of God. God seemed to beckon me at that moment that, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use your words and I'm gonna use your mouth and you're gonna be a talker and a speaker and that's what I'm gonna do with you and you're gonna love it. And I was just like overcome with a sense of his nearness, overcome with a sense of his individual attention towards me and overcome with a sense that this is what I wanna do. I, I wanna be a preacher. I loved my dad, he was my hero. And that whole scenario in Boise, Idaho registers as so much love and care and specific engagement in my little 11-year-old self. And it, it, it meant the world and it, it set me in motion for sure. When did that happen for you or has it been a progression? 
Yeah. I'm, as I asked you the questions, like, I don't know how I would answer. Oh, shoot. <laughs> no, no, but I'm glad you asked because I'm thinking through, I realized I had such an advantage because I have always known that I've been loved by my parents. I never felt like I had to earn my parents' love. Wow. I never felt like I had to perform to gain their love. I just knew that I was loved by my mom and by my dad, and they would express that love and show that love. And so I think as a result, it made me able to receive love, even from God, as cheesy as that sounds. So I realized I was given that gift, and I'm so grateful to my parents for that. But then I think growing up in church, I knew about God, and I knew the teachings of God, and I knew the story you referenced, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I think the first time I really knew I was loved by God was probably when I knew I messed up and made mistakes. And whether that was my sophomore year of high school, sneaking behind my parents' back and having a boyfriend I shouldn't have had. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, whether or not I should have had the boyfriend, I don't know, but I shouldn't have snuck around behind my parents' back. So (laughs) I know that in the context of doing what I knew wasn't right, I still felt that love and connection from God. And I think that began for me really knowing I wasn't just loved by God for doing right things, but I was loved by God for who I am. Wow. But it was also still so intertwined when I think about my life with performance. I still thought the better I did, the more good deeds I could do, the more I could earn God's love. And I don't think that's because my church taught me that. I think human nature is to believe that. Well, it's this feeling of like, cool, I'd love to let God love me, but am I lovable? Where I guess we're suggesting today that the most important thing in the world is that God loves you and you can be loved by him anywhere, anytime, any place, no matter what you're going through. But I do want to say it meant a lot to me what you said. Both you and I have to own the fact and the blessing it was and the privilege it was to both have had a mom and dad who really did love us. Perfectly, no, but well, absolutely. And that gave us a huge head start in knowing that you are lovable. Every Mm. single person just the way you are. Imperfect, broken, and sometimes selfish (laughs) and grumpy. You are lovable and God loves you. Now, to believe that might be the great challenge of the entire human experience. What would you say to somebody who didn't have that background as parents, who maybe doesn't feel lovable by anybody, let alone by a God who we can't even see, and maybe he's out there, maybe he's not, but I don't even know if I'm lovable. Well, first of all, I would say to that person, if you're listening to this podcast, you're heroic. And what I mean by that is right about now, I would have turned it off. You know, if I was in a situation where maybe you hear Chelsea say or you hear me say, uh, man, we had parents, you're like, well, there's the disconnect. And this is where I get off this train. This is my stop. Right. Because how can I relate? You're heroic. And the fact that you're here listening to this podcast proves that you want to understand the most important basic necessity. And that is that you are loved and you are lovable. But to think that that is easy Uh, Well, then it wouldn't be the most important thing to talk about if it was easy, but it doesn't come natural and it doesn't come normal for us to feel lovable when we're not performing or we're not apparently clearly doing something successful or something that's perceived as a win or something that's perceived as noble or honorable or moral. 
And so much of our life, I think we fight throughout the days, these sensations of I am not lovable, I am not likable, I am not good enough, and I am not deserving. And today, we are adamantly, passionately, delicately trying to express that no matter who you are listening to this episode, you are the unique artistic expression of the divine, and you are a masterpiece. Lovable doesn't even begin to describe your value. Yeah. But that's hard to believe. It's, yeah, really hard to believe. In a performance-driven world. Yep. I do think one that is one of the most incredible things of church community, which you and I get to be able to lead, a church is not a perfect place, but I do believe it should be a community where any human being can walk in and know that they are loved and feel lovable. Because sometimes it is hard to experience divine love if we have never experienced human love or if we don't know what it's like to experience human love. Now, the problem is no human is going to love perfectly the way that God loves. But, you know, I do have so many friends who have talked about the feeling of walking into a church community, walking into a group of people of faith and having received love that I do believe is divinely fueled love that does come through humans because that's how God has set it up. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? No, I, I totally agree. And can I just say any group of people, when you go from one person to two, you got twice as much potential for hurt and pain. Now you get three people, four people, 5,000, 6,000, 10,000. Well, you have that many variables for hurt, <laughs> pain, horrible abuse, horrible intentions, horrible misuse of money. And, and so the church is just not exempt. It's not exempt just like companies, just like baseball clubs and football clubs and basketball clubs. The church is just as human as any other organization, and yeah. it has its flaws. It does. And I think that the beauty of it and the danger of it is that it is just like any other organization. But, but. it also is a distributor of the divine, yep. whether divine love, divine worship, divine perspective. And so the... The stakes are high. stakes are high. But... I think it's worth it. It's worth it to be able to be a recipient of love that even though it's divine mixed with human, at least it's still an element of that divine love. Have you had moments of questioning whether or not God loves you as you've gotten later in life? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I I don't know if there's a day that goes by where there's not some conscious or subconscious sensation that is reinforcing um, what I know isn't true, but it's hard not to believe it, that I'm not lovable, that I've done something that just has made God mad. Really? Uh, And... Oh, I mean, it, it, some days are very acute and dramatic and big, and some days they're just subtle and small. Absolutely. Really? Mm-hmm. That surprises me. Wow. I can't remember the last time I questioned whether or not God loves me. Wow. And maybe I need to say it like this to, to be even more specific so that people aren't like, um, I always think God loves me. Well, hold on a second. What I mean by that is I wonder at times, is God mad at me? Mm-hmm. Not does God love me? Big picture, I know too much about scripture 
and the whole story to know, oh yeah, pound for pound, day to day, I know God loves me. But like, is right now God's emotion towards me kind of upset and mad because I was so selfish or so angry on the golf course, mm. <laughs> for instance? <laughs> I think I would more deal with wondering if, I, if I've disappointed God. Mm. And you can see almost God's furrowed brow mm-hmm. or his dejected, he's looking down to the ground over uh, my life. Like, when I, when I do the things that I said I would never do yeah. again, my thoughts, he knows every single thought, which is crazy to crazy. think, how can he hear these you, thoughts God. that are pretty selfish, pretty vain, pretty self-centered, fairly lustful, pretty greedy? How can God hear all of these thoughts and still love me and not be disappointed, not think, yeah. I expected more of her by now. It's so real. What would you say if somebody says, well, I don't believe in God? If I don't believe in God, does he still love me? Mm. Wow, what a question. And the answer is most certainly seen in the person of Jesus. Hmm. If you watch his life like an, an episode of an ongoing series, every instance, scenario, and situation in some way seems to be connected to someone who doesn't currently believe in him. Mm-hmm. And his affection, his love, his focus, his ease, his, ease, his humor. It only says one thing. Yep. I love you so much. Yeah, but I don't even believe in you. I love you so much. And his time, his attention. I mean, he goes to people's homes that don't believe in him and shares a meal. And of course, in antiquity, that's a public statement that I approve of this person and love this person. Therefore, I'm eating food with them. And Jesus did that with people that didn't even believe in him. And it was apparent not just to him, but to many others. And he loved him. And so the answer is emphatically, and I just want to say this, does Jesus love me if I don't believe in him? Yes, yes, yes. And of course, we can go to the good old classic verse of John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, which in Bible terms is everybody, including the system of the world that's broken and fallen. So it's like, it, it insinuates, the, the word world there insinuates unbelievers, people yeah. that just don't believe that so, there's a God. It says God so loved unbelievers That's right. that he sent like his only son, Jesus. Yep. So that whoever, whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. God uh, believes in you first way before you ever believe in him. Yep. Yep. I think when I'm really honest with myself, becoming a parent has been one of the most transformative things for me for actually believing how much God loves me. Totally. And not doubting it. But if it, on those days, mm. in those moments where you're doubt, not doubting the love of God, but just not feeling it or feeling more in your humanity, which is do good, get good, and really wondering, does God love me? How do we sit in the love of God? How do we receive it? If the most important thing on the planet is to be loved by God, How do we be loved by God? Well, and I think it goes back to that story of Mary and Martha, some of the closest friends of Jesus. I think the portrait is there for us to investigate. Martha is busy doing. Mary is busy being. Mm. So it's like you almost want to get the mental picture of Martha in the kitchen doing what people do in the kitchen when they're preparing food and probably a a little stressed because he's already here. He's in the living room. I'm not prepared. I didn't know. This is unexpected. And Mary just couldn't be bothered. She's like, I'm going to just be here with you. I do think there's a couple of prerequisites that are hard. 
being loved by God is the admittance that you're not God. And that's hard. And what I mean by that is I don't think anyone listening is like, no, I am God. Call me Thor, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I just think we mean we are the God of our Thursday. We're the God of our Friday. We're the God of our work. We're the God of the gas in our tank. We're the God of our checkings, savings, and investments. We're the God. And I guess what we're saying is, no, you're not. In other words, while you sleep, the earth keeps moving. While you sleep, your heart keeps beating because there's a God who watches over those things that you don't even understand. So I think being loved by God is the admittance that I don't need to be in the proverbial kitchen all the time with mm, God. Don't be the person. Where I'm doing, doing, doing. In life, making all the things happen. And so you're saying there's an element of releasing that. It's actually a simple posture of sitting. And I know that sounds crazy, there but for me, it's typically with a cup of coffee and reading a few verses. But to take that physical posture and sit and do nothing and feel loved while I'm doing nothing is so important. And actually out of that conversation that you and I had on our lovely vacation where we were talking about yeah. the important things of life, it hit me. If being loved by God is the most important thing, and if I know that when I'm in a space and I sit and I read a scripture and I think about how much God loves me, it does something for me on the inside. Why do I let some mornings go by or some days go mm. by where I don't actually do that? Not out of striving or trying to prove anything or trying to earn God's love, but actually just sitting and receiving. It's like, as cheesy as it sounds, cuddling with you. Like those moments of just, you're just gonna hold me, standing up and getting a hug, just that physical touch, that connection, yes. that intimacy. There is a transfer of love that happens in those moments that you can't hardly describe. And you connect with God in a different way than I do. So I'm not trying to give a formula, but I am trying to say that, hey, that's what works for me. Why don't I do that more consistently all the time? Give myself to that if this really is the most important thing in life. Okay, and that leads me to asking a question to any Christian willing to listen to this. Which do you do more? Talking about doing things for God or talking about what God has done for you. And there it is. Yeah. Just think for a moment how much time we spend. Think about it. How much time in sermons, how many books are written, how many songs are sung. And it's all about what we're doing for God and how little is what has God done for us, which is another way of saying what we do to love God mm -hmm. as opposed to talking more about what God has done to love us. And we are simply suggesting that the most important thing in the universe, oh, it's really important to love God, yep. but the most important thing to talk about, think about, sing about, dance about, write about is how much God loves us. That's how this whole universe came about. Yeah, and so I would love to give that as a toolkit actually here on our last episode is to, if you're a follower of Jesus, to sit and evaluate. Mm. Do I spend more time thinking about my performance or about what God has already done for me? And whatever your answer is to that question, have an honest conversation with God about it. And just say, God, this is where I'm at. I know you love me, yeah. <laughs> right? But what can you do to sit and mm. receive the love of God for you in the way that you have been wired as an individual? 
Judah, I love how different you and I are. Mm. And I think God made us all so uniquely different so he could express his love to us in uniquely individual ways that we get to discover in our lifetime and season of life. You agree? Absolutely. And for me, it can be very abstract. It can be very random. It can be very artistic. It can be very emotional how I feel loved by God. For you, it can be very tangible and literal. You can take the scriptures and you can sit down with a cup of coffee and a highlighter and a pen and God just speaks to you through your daily Bible reading plan. And God does for me as well. But the spontaneity mm -hmm. of a walk in nature or the spontaneity of a song on the radio while I'm driving and all of a sudden I feel his love and I'm overwhelmed and I'm overcome. And it's like, I couldn't even have planned this, but it's so beautiful, you know? <laughs> and it's cool just to watch us walk through this life, you know, being loved by God. Yeah, I was gonna say the last few years for you, nature has been much more of a conduit for God's love mm. than I think it was in the past, which has been cool to see that grow yeah. and develop and change in you, which is really fun because it is a relationship and it's not stagnant. I do think too, when you're being loved by God, before you go looking for ways he's gonna love you, ask yourself, what are the ways you think he already loves you? Mm -hmm. And I think the way God expresses his love to each individual can be different. Sometimes it's like a unique arrangement you have with God that you understand this is the way God is revealing himself to me. Of course, it's always consistent in the context of scripture and there's nothing new, but it is unique to you. And one of the ways God has just surprisingly showed up with his love towards me is uh, birds and trees and grass and mountains and rivers and lakes. And it's just like, whoa, God, I see it. Like I've never seen it before. And so it's fun. It's fun to go through this adventure of romance and love with God. Yeah, be on the lookout. God will probably love you in very unique ways and it will um, change your life forever. Before we pray yeah. on our very last episode of season one of oh, In Good man. Faith, I want to take a few moments of reflection because we've recorded 40 episodes. This is the 40th. This is the 40th episode. A lot of talking that you and I have done oh, with ourselves, word. with each other, with incredible guests. And I think we owe it to ourselves and to people who have chosen to listen, which is really always incredible and humble, to take a few moments to reflect on this moment and not just let it wow. pass by, but to really sit in it. What have you learned the most about recording 40 episodes of In Good Faith? Well, I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy, but I have been, again, taken aback uh, by the depth of your wisdom, the depth of your awareness of humanity and people and life. I love listening. This podcast has allowed me as your husband to sit here and watch you. Aww. You prep for this podcast way more than I do. We both know that's true and so does all of our production team. <laughs> and I love watching you do that. And it brings me such joy and encouragement. And then I have learned about my fellow man I want to thank our production team and everybody that helps make this possible. The questions and the research that our teams have done and reading and thinking and learning from 
different people's perspective has just been enriching, sometimes humiliating how myopic I can be. Yeah. But, um, boy, I've learned a lot about humanity. And, and I think that's where I'm excited about it. You know, if we can continue this to multiple seasons, it just means growth. And I remember one of my teachers in high school saying, you know, the teacher always learns more than the students. Right. And I just want to say to everyone who's listened, you can't imagine how much I've learned. It's a lot more than you have. I can tell you that much. So, so thanks for giving us a, a platform and an, an opportunity to do this. Yeah, I think what have you learned? I have learned the power of conversations, mm. whether it's the ones that you and I have had together that we've had with amazing guests. Wow. How meaningful it has been when we were forced to sit down and have a conversation. The things I have learned about you, about myself, about the world, wow. about other people has been really staggering. And it surprised me that we've had to have a podcast platform to have some of the conversations that we've had, probably yeah. especially the ones between me and you. It's like, we're together all the time. <laughs> can, can we have figured that on our own or had that meaningful conversation or kind of put two and two together? But the things that we've uncovered even about ourselves and our own life has been really amazing to me. And yeah. I think it is in the power of conversations. And so I've just been really amazed at how powerful conversations are, how healing they are. And not just the talking, but the listening yeah. part of conversations. I, I love that. Uh, any highlights for you? This uh, first season of podcasting together that, that come to mind? Oh, man. I mean, going back to our episode with Justin and Haley. Well, you can't take mine. Oh, well, then you should have, <laughs> an you should have answered first. Yes, you can. That's <laughs> it was obviously so fun. They're such mm. special humans. I think the conversation that, that you and I had about how to not have an affair was really a, a highlight. <laughs> right? Both of mine. I mean, absolutely <laughs> both of mine. Yeah, but but at least say, we're synced up. Right? You can say the same things, but for different reasons. I loved that not just for the conversation that we had, but probably for the response to mm. that conversation. How many people thanked us for being honest and vulnerable. I don't know. That meant a lot. That Sorry, a lot. I stole your highlights. No, Why? no, I love this. Your I, you know, you ask a question, but then you kind of have an answer in your in right? mind. You know? <laughs> I, I will never forget sitting at what was at our kitchen table, Justin and Haley obviously are like family to us and we love them so much. Justin and I have been brothers for 12 years and to see him sitting with his wife at our kitchen table and obviously so grateful for the Beavers and their desire and willingness to be on this podcast. And it was a surreal moment and I held back uh, ugly cries <laughs> watching these two wonderful humans having been through so much in their young lives, sharing their vulnerability and wisdom. 12 years before meeting Patty Millette and her young son, Justin, I would have never imagined what this journey would bring. And uh, boy, am I grateful. And I have learned far more from Justin than he's ever learned from me. But that moment is emblazoned in my brain forever. And it was very special. And then since the idea of this podcast came, our world has changed and yeah. a lot has happened. Yeah. And for us to go live on air, so to speak, and talk about how to not cheat on each other meant a lot to me because that's what I want. I never want to cheat on you. And it was freeing to talk about it publicly mm. and let everybody who's willing to listen know this is what Chelsea and I are passionate about. And we're also willing to admit 
that cheating on each other is absolutely a possibility and we don't <laughs> want it to be. So here's the things we're going to keep doing. That was a hallmark moment. Yeah, and I think if I could give one word of encouragement to listeners, I would hope that listeners would walk away with being better in the art of conversation, being better at asking questions, being better at listening, so being good. better at being curious, being better and growing and maybe taking a moment to listen to somebody who thinks differently than you do or vice versa. If these conversations that you and I have could spark conversations that other people have, I do believe that gaining understanding and talking and listening is an agent that can truly heal the world. I agree. One thing comes to my heart. And when we named this podcast, uh, you know me, I'm a little sentimental, mm -hmm. but the name in good faith means a lot to me. When people make arrangements or agreements in good faith, it's a binding agent of sorts that says, hey, we haven't signed yet. We haven't agreed contractually or lawfully, but in good faith, in trusting each other, I agree to this. And the in good faith concept was obviously dual meaning because we're faith people, but in good faith is this idea that, hey, I'm going to trust you. And my hope is very simple, that people would get more comfortable in the middle of the room mm -hmm. and not on one side of the room. Yeah. So we can listen learn, grow, and become better. I love seeing Jesus oftentimes not giving either side what they want, yep. but attempting to bring them together. I hope that we live lives that are constantly connecting with people in good faith. You know? Yep. Um, well said. That's my hope. I love that. As we conclude, yes. I know there's always credits at the end, mm. but we have to give a huge thanks Thank to you. the team who has made Please. this happen. And what I want to say is a couple things is first of all, um, this team has made this so much fun, but we've also learned so much from yeah. this incredible team. So we just want to give a huge thanks to Elias, Dylan, Grace, Caitlin, Eve, Daniel, Joni, Marissa, and of course, to Scott and Michael, AKA Ratty Ratner, yes, and sir. this amazing team who have just Rev been- Who've been fun to work with, which speaking of in good faith, it's oh. like, oh, in good faith is easy when there's good people Wish that we're doing this with. Wish you could meet our whole team. Yep. They're just the most amazing humans, and it's been a, a pure joy to work with the team, and a big thanks to OBB and Cadence 13 and SB Projects. Hey, we did it. We got one season down and I hope many more to come. Hey, will you pray for our listeners yes, as we conclude season one? God, thank you. Thank you for the end of something which uh, marks uh, a moment of reflection. And we thank you for that. I thank you for many people who have been able to get fresh air um, and perspective because of the brief conversations we've had here. We ask that you would continue to help us in this space, help us to help people, not help ourselves, but help people in the process. We thank you for it. Lord, I can only imagine what someone may be going through who's listening to this prayer right now. And so I ask that you would meet that person right now mm -hmm. exactly where they are with love, and forgiveness and encouragement. And more than anything, God, remind us we are not alone. You said you would never leave us 
or forsake us. And we thank you for that. Amen. Amen. This has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chelsea Smith, Judah Smith, Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Elias Tanner, Scooter Braun, Scott Manson, James Shin, and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Caitlin Plummer and Eve Bishop of OBB Sound and Kyle Vanuya of SB Projects. Produced by Lauren LaGrasso and Serena Regan of Cadence 13. Edited, mixed, and mastered by Daniel Chavez-Crook, with editing support from Caitlin Plummer and Eve Bishop. Original composition by Colin Gilliard. Production support from Kristen Crosby and Dylan Martyr. OBB Sound is an OBB media company. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company.